Psalms chapter 2 today, and we're, this is our second week in the book of Psalms. I, I love this because this is such a, a, a fun book to begin, especially in the season that we're in right now, especially in the, the season that we find ourselves as a church uh, in our world, um, to be able to go into Psalms and really depend on the Lord, to really trust in God through these songs and through these Psalms. So today we're in Psalms chapter 2, and last week as we went to the first chapter and an introduction of Psalms chapter 1, we learned what real worship means. What is real worship? Now real worship is cultivated in holiness. And that really is the title of today's message, real worship cultivated in holiness. Real worship cultivated in holiness. Why? Because holiness always meets the need for usefulness and for spiritual power. Holiness always meets the need for usefulness and for spiritual power. And in this book that we read even tonight, it's called the Hebrew Hymn Book. It's called the book of, of, of Psalms or the book of praises now that we've already studied. Someone once said, you know what, if you study the book of Psalms, it is like now a workbook on worship. And Proverbs now is the workshop of wisdom. <laughs> Isn't that so true? That Psalms is the workbook on worship, and Proverbs is the workshop now on wisdom. And if you want a deeper, richer life when it comes to your worship, if you want a deeper and richer life when it comes to wisdom and to discernment, we must take these two books and let them be a part of our lives. Let them be a part of our devotion now. You see, in, in Psalms chapter 1, it was the, the psalm. It was the, the psalm where we learn we either are planted or we're blown away. We're planted like the tree or we're blown away like a chaff now. But that, that person that is in holiness, that is in obedience, that is trusting in God is planted now. And Psalms 1 teaches us that, that we are to focus on the Word of God. In Psalms 1, the people of Psalms 1 are those that focus on the Word of God. The people in Psalms 2 now, we're going to see, are the people that now disobey the Word of God. So you either are going to be living in Psalms 1, or you're going to be living a, a person and a people of Psalms 2 that are disobedient in the Word of God. But notice this, that here in Psalms chapter 2, as we're learning worship, we also are developing witness. You can't be an effective witness until you learn how to worship God first. Someone once said, when we teach men to have real worship before God, we will have men who will give real witness before other men. Now notice how important that is. Our real worship that gives now real witness. Real worship that gives real witness now. Now it's exciting as we go to Psalms chapter 2 here because Psalms 2 is a Psalms that is not focused now on the law as Psalms 1, but Psalms 2 is focused on prophecy. It's a Messianic Psalms, Psalms chapter 2. And if you like taking notes, write that in your Bible, a Messianic Psalms. Like, what does it mean? What is the test of a Messianic Psalm? is one that is used or it's now referred to in the New Testament when speaking about Jesus, it is quoted. Now in the New Testament, if, if it were to be a Messianic Psalm, it would have to have been quoted in the New Testament when referring about Jesus. 
This psalm in particular is quoted more than any other psalm in the New Testament. Isn't that exciting? In fact, it is quoted 17 times in the New Testament when it's referring to Jesus and to prophecy now. This is amazing because it's almost as if the psalmist is giving us a prophecy update in the Old Testament. Notice that. You want a prophecy update in the Old Testament? This is where it's at. A prophecy update in the Old Testament. And this prophecy update is we can either defy God and perish, we can be disobedient and perish, or we can surrender and be blessed. Defy God and be perished, rebel now and perish, or now surrender and be blessed. Can we pray right now before we go into Psalms chapter 2 in God's Word? Lord Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You, Jesus, because You brought us, Lord, into Your house, God, and maybe we're here right now, Lord, or we're listening later on on our podcast, or we're watching um, online, Lord, to the live stream. We ask, God, that You would just minister to us through these psalms through these songs god we thank you because these songs and these psalms and this book of praises is prophetic lord it speaks about the coming messiah lord that the entire bible from cover to cover from even uh the texts of poetry and of psalms speaks about your redemptive plan through jesus christ and we thank you lord for that we ask so that we would be one nation under god not one nation divided, not one nation that is separated, Lord. But as Psalms 2 teaches us, to be a nation that is surrendered under God. We pray that we would go back to that and that you would bless us as a country. Lord, that you would heal our nation. That you would restore us, God. That you would bring repentance, Lord, so that you can bring revival in our hearts and in our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Together we said, from wherever you are, and even right here, Amen. It says here in Psalms chapter 2, a Messianic Psalm here, talks about here that David is speaking about the reign of the Lord's anointed, or the reign of the Lord's Messiah now. And he's going to speak that the Messiah is reigning, but the nation is uproaring against the now authority or the rulership of the Lord. Now notice this, how important is this now as a nation that we would submit under God? Here in Psalms 2, it talks about a nation now that is rejecting the Lord and is angry, that is prideful, that is rebellious. And he goes here in verse 1 of Psalms 2, why do the nations rage? Notice that. Why is it the nation is angry or in an uproar or raging here against now the Lord? And the people plot a vain thing. Why is it that the nations are angry? Why is it that they're plotting? Why is it that they're planning together? Why is it that the nations are now working up in vain or uselessly coming against the Lord? The king of the earth set themselves now and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Now notice that from verse 1, 2, and 3, he speaks about a nation that is rebelling against God and saying, we want to rebel against God and against His anointed one. We want to rebel God against God and against His Messiah. We want to rebel God and against His uh, uh, Savior that He's going to bring into this world. And it is so relevant to what we're going through today because it speaks about a nation that is rejecting now the Lord, that is rejecting the Messiah. Notice how it says here in verse 3, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. 
What do the nations want? What is it that these people want? They're against now the authority and the dominion and the rulership and the commandments of the Lord. So you know what they're saying? Why is it that now we have to submit ourselves against the Lord? We don't want to feel restricted. Let us break these bonds. We want to be stubborn. We want to be raging. We, we want to rage against our Creator. We want to rage against the Messiah here. And they're planning together. They're opposing now. They're being defiant against God. Let us break ourselves away from God. Isn't that the message of the world today? Let us break ourselves away from God. Where we don't no longer have the cords now of accountability to the Lord. We no longer have the accountability to God and we want to be free from God. This nation as a society and the world as a society is fighting to be free from the moral standard when it comes to accountability with God. Being free from God is the most dangerous things that we can ever do. Being free from God. In fact, He is not here to bring bondage now, but He's here to break bondage. And these people feel like, well, if I have to be under the authority and the submission of God, then I feel like I'm enslaved now. No, it's been said before, I love what Warren Worsby says. He says, freedom without authority is anarchy. And anarchy destroys. Freedom without authority is anarchy. And anarchy destroys. Isn't that a picture of the world that we're living in today even? That we want freedom without authority, that we want lawlessness now. In fact, the first duty of every one of us as believers is, is to find not our freedom, but to find our master. Everybody wants to find their freedom, but have you found your master and is it Jesus Christ? Because this nation is saying, well, you know what? We're all inclusive. We don't want to submit under the rulership of the Lord. Well, that's old school. Let's break away from these moral laws or from the standard of the Lord now. And, and you start to see an uproar. You know what an uproar looks? It looks like a riot. <laughs> you start to see an uproar in the nations because they're trying to become independent of God. When we become independent of God, it's very problematic because it brings lawlessness. It, it really brings a, a moral and a spiritual breakdown in society. And that's exactly what these people wanted. Now there are often times in our lives where we say, well, you know what? Well, that's okay. We understand why the nation is uproar. And we can try to justify an uproar, but in the eyes of God, is it approved? That's what really matters. There's a difference in the way we see it and the way God sees it. And you notice here, they're saying, let us break their bonds in pieces or let us break away from God and let us break away from the Messiah. Those, that small phrase, one nation under God, that is something that we have been trying to fight against. But do you see the lawlessness that takes place when we become a one nation under man? We must become one nation that is never independent on God that we are fully dependent of Him. And it says here now, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord looks at this and He laughs. Now what does He laugh about? The Lord laughs about their thoughts when it comes to Him, concerning Him. The Lord laughs, it says here, and shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then He shall speak to them in His wrath and distress them in His deep displeasure. The Lord looks at them in anger and He terrifies them in, in fury. And this laugh is a laugh of strength. This laugh is a laugh of love as well. But then He's going to declare something as the Lord looks at them now. And He demonstrates His authority and His submission as Creator now. 
as he laughs at them, understanding that you guys don't understand who I am. You see, we are, inf we are really finite people, right? We are so temporary people. We are so limited in our thinking, and God is transcendent. So he laughs, so you guys are trying to rebel against me. Do you see how the, the relationship here of the Lord, it says, yet in verse 6, yet I have set my king. This is what the Lord is saying. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I have placed my Messiah there. I have placed the moral law in your hearts. You see, God has placed the moral law in our hearts. He is the moral law giver. He's placed the moral law. He's placed His Son, Jesus, on His holy hill. And notice what it says. I declared, I placed Him, I appointed my chosen King here. That's what He's talking about. For Jerusalem now, or my holy hill of Zion, that He should sit on the throne of my holy mountain. And we as a society, as a church, as a world, even a nation, we should accept either the judgment of our sins now, if we don't want to accept now God's judgment of our sin on the cross. You have an option. You either are going to accept the cross and how God placed the judgment of our sins there, or we're going to accept and try to carry the judgment ourselves. And he said, don't you realize the Lord is saying that I placed the Lord there? I placed the Messiah there, the Lord is saying here. Verse 7, I will declare the decree that the Lord has said to me. This is as of the Lord speaking, a, a prophecy of what the Messiah would say. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. This is now the Lord speaking about the Messiah. Ask of me, I've placed you there. This is so prophetic. He says, you are of the same essence of me. I am your father and the nation shall submit to you. Notice what he says here in verse 8. I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. They will submit to you. You shall break them with a rod of iron and you shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. They will not be able to rebel, rebel against you and now conquer or be victorious. They will not overcome. They are powerless and it is very vain or in their defiance. Do you notice how in verse 90, he's saying, you know what? The Messiah will never be overturned. Although he will be rejected, he won't be overturned. In fact, the Messiah will come, he's saying in verse 9, and he will break them now like a potter, break them in, in a potter's vessel or dash them into pieces. What does that mean? It's almost as the king that would make a symbol before he went out to war with an, a rod of iron to dash that, that, that clay vessel into pieces to say, we are not going to be overcome. We will not be overturned. Now therefore, verse 10, be wise. This is what the psalmist is saying. You are acting foolishly, rejecting the Lord, but be wise. What is the exhortation for us today? To act wisely. But look what he's talking about. O kings of the earth, be wise leaders of the earth. Be wise people of the earth. Now therefore, be wise, O kings, or leaders on earth. Act wisely now. He's warning us. He's giving us instruction here. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Be, learn about what here accountability means. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. See, that, that, that is there where the beginning of wisdom is in, in fear. And that is an exhortation for us as a church, as a people of God, as a, 
as a now disciples, even as a country, look what he's saying. You should submit and serve the Lord with what? With fear. That we should never stop serving the Lord without fear or without respecting His authority. Here he's speaking and he opens up the psalm with talking about a nation that would reject the Messiah. And he's giving them instruction and warning now in verse 11 and 12 that they should serve the Lord and now hold Him to the highest authority that He deserves. Love Him and serve Him and respect His authority. That you would have reverence of Him. And notice it, uh, it says here in verse 11, And rejoice with trembling. <laughs> Not only respect the Lord, not only rejoice before Him, but let it be with trembling. Let it be real now the way that you respect Him. Let it have something in effect to you that you are rejoicing, that you are serving Him. Notice, serve and rejoice, fear and trembling. Do you notice how the Lord wants us to approach Him? His authority and His command, His dominion, that we should serve Him this way? Not only that we should serve Him this way, verse 12 says that we should submit to Him this way. A matter of fact, in verse, 11, verse 12 would not be possible without verse 11. We must learn what it means to worship the Lord. We must learn what it means to serve the Lord, but with what? With fear. Because when we lost and we lose the fear of God, we lost everything when it comes to our service. What good is it to serve the Lord without fear? What good is it to even rejoice in His presence now without reverence? <laughs> Do you see how important He's building up the presence of God here? And who we ought to submit to Him? Verse 12, He says, Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. Now, kiss the Son is, is just a, such an amazing, now, historical and cultural picture here. Because it's almost as if someone that was coming to kiss now the King demonstrating their submission or a dignitary demonstrating their, their subjugation under that king or under that, that ruler now. And they're saying, I want you to come and kiss the son. Which son? The son, the Messiah. Kiss the son, a, a symbol of submission. Now he's saying, so that he will not be angry or so that he will relent from his anger. Kiss the son means make sure that you place the Lord in his proper place in your life is God in his proper place in your life is he in the place of authority is he in the place of command now this is what he's saying so that he is not angry and you will not be destroyed and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a but a little you see when you see the wrath of God that being kindled and fired up you're going to perish you will be destroyed now he's saying in the midst of all your activities if you do not submit Submission is so important, and this is why it happens when we have a moral breakdown in society, in our culture. We start to see people turn their back on God, and you see now the depravity that takes place when we try to become independent of the Lord. This is what the same type of nation he is describing here. Blessed are those, he ends here in verse 12, who put their trust in Him. Now you're going to notice from chapter 2 and on of those chapters that we will go through tonight, that he's always taking his eyes off of himself and putting his eyes on the Lord. And I think that tonight, it's very important that we take our eyes off ourselves and put our eyes on the mercy of God. Take your eyes off yourself and put your eyes on the mercy of God. Here he gives us a promise. Blessed. 
What a joy. What a blessing it is. Those who put their trust or find their safety in what? In Him. Blessed be those who put their trust and their safety in Him. What a joy it is for you and for me to put our trust and safety in the Lord. Where is your trust today? In fact, you don't experience true safety, true rest, until you put your trust in Him. In chapter 3 of Psalms here, we're going to start to see that, that the psalmist David now is speaking from a personal lament. Uh, you know why you can appreciate the psalms? Is that because they speak about praises, but they also speak about lament. They speak a lot about discouragement. They speak a lot about problems and trials and tribulations. And, and many of us are going through lament right now. Mourning. Pain now. But notice here how as he's talking about suffering, he's looking at the Lord always through suffering. Notice that in chapter 3 here as we go is that he, he's looking to the Lord as his help for his troubled people. And he's saying, Lord, Lord, I know that you can give me peace in the midst of a storm. And look what he says here in verse 1 of chapter 3. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are those who rise up against me. He's saying, Lord, I feel the pressure of those coming against me. Have you ever felt that way? Not only in the in a, in a midst of a godless nation or of a godless people where trouble comes. It, it's so dangerous to be in the midst of a godless nation or a godless people. He told them first in chapter 2 to repent, but now in chapter 3, David is running from his enemies. <laughs> Isn't it? This is amazing. A lot of times we think that the Psalms are written in, in, in David's now maybe throne room and is David's now kingdom and, 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 his, and his personal uh, private fortress. No, they, they were not written there. A lot of times the Psalms are written when David was running from his enemies hiding in a cave. This one specifically... He was running away from his son Absalom. Do you remember when Absalom took over the kingdom when his dad was older? And he was rebelling against his son Absalom. And he said, you know what? I don't care what my dad says. I'm going to take half of the kingdom. I'm going to make people fall in love with me now. And I'm going to take over. And he starts to chase his father now. And he becomes a threat to his dad. Now David starts to run with his loyal core of men that have not traded him yet. Because the majority of him did. And look what it says here, Lord, how they have increased those who troubled me. Many are those who rise up against me. Lord, they've increasing. Not only my son, but my old friends, they have become traitors to me. My enemies increase against me now. He was a man that knew what it was like to have friends. But he, always was, he was also a man who knew what it was like to have enemies. And we as believers, we, we must know and understand that we will experience both. There are going to be those that like us, and there are going to be those that don't like us. But look what he says. What, are the, what is the first word in that psalm? Lord. Lord. Master. Crying out. Notice this. Many are those who say of me, there is no help for him in God. People were looking at David's life, and he's saying, you know what? Not even God can rescue him and help him at this point in his life. His family is a disaster now. And they believe that David was beyond the help and the reach now of God's protection. They believe that David was beyond the help of the protection of God. I want you to know that today, wherever we find ourselves in, we are not beyond the help and the reach of the protection of God. We are not beyond that. And notice that it now uses a small word here. There is no help for him. Selah. Now this is an amazing word. This isn't a word that speaks of a prayer break. In fact, it was almost as if 
the psalmist, as he was writing this, you know what he did? Notice what he did. He literally put the pen down and he started to pray. There are often times in our life that we need to put the pen down and start to pray. In fact, it's a word of peaceful rest, meditation, intermission to spend time with the Lord. I think that in our calendars, we should put days where it says, Selah. We put things down so that we can literally spend time in worship and adoration of God. Do you see how important this is? Because here in this time, he started to now pause. Now, he had to pause to spend time with the Lord before he continued. How many times has the Lord told us, Hey, I need you to pause now to spend time with me before you continue. Selah. And this is an amazing, now, intermission to be in the presence of God. It's a prayer break. A prayer break. Now, let's read here verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. This is how they act towards me. They're increasing. They think that you cannot protect me. But what are you? You are a shield for me. Notice what he is. He's confident in the Lord. He feels the pressure, but he also knows the protection. He feels the pressure, but he understands the protection now. But you, Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. Now, look at those three things that he just said. He described. This is amazing for us. If you feel like you're undergoing oppression, discouragement, maybe you, under, you, 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 you think that, may, you, I, I feel the enemies. I, I, I see it and I feel it and I understand that I'm undergoing spiritual warfare. But this here in verse 3 and 4 talks about what God did for David, what God did for you here. Circle these verses because this is what God does for you. This is what the world is pressing against me, but this is what you're doing for me. They might be against me, but verse 3 and 4, you're for me now. His confidence was in God. What does he say, number one? And I want you to really circle this. You are, number one, a shield. How many of us need a shield today? I know I need a shield. You are a shield, number one. And what is the kind of shield for me? It talks about a shield that is around him for protection. Number one, a shield now. Number two, you are my glory. What is my glory? When you're discouraged, notice that you, he is your glory now. I have nothing to be happy about. <laughs> I have nothing to be excited about. I have no vision. I have nothing. I'm all empty. I'm running away. You are my glory. Number two, you are, He's your glory. And then number three, He's the one that lifts up your head. <laughs> wow, what a beautiful picture. You lift up my head. You lift up my head. Now notice this as, he, as He's saying these words. It, it is because David understood that when no one was there now to help him, God was a shield. When no one was there to help him, God was his shield. When David had no treasure now, God was his treasure. You are my glory. No one was there to help him, God was his shield. He had no treasure now, God was his glory. When no one was there to encourage him, God lifts his head. <laughs> you see how he's encouraging himself in the Lord? He learned that the Lord was the source for everything in his life. For protection, a source of glory, and a source of encouragement for the Lord now. And notice as he goes on in verse 4, it says, I cried out to the Lord with my voice. Who did I cry out? To the Lord with my voice. 
Not only in my mind, but with my voice, I cried out to the Lord. Listen what he's, what he's going to say here. And he heard me from his holy hill. Where did he hear me from? I cried out to the Lord and he heard me. He brought encouragement. He brought glory. He brought treasure. He brought protection from his presence. I cried out to the Lord and he heard me from his presence. See, David knew what it was like to have enemies. But David also knew what it was like to be in the presence of God. You see, when we realize and we dwell on our enemies instead of dwelling on the presence of God, we become defeated. Do you understand why David wasn't defeated? He might have been not on the throne, but Jehovah was still on the throne. <laughs> he might have been casted to the side by his own son. But notice one thing that David understood, the man after God's own heart, that he was crying out to the Lord, and the Lord he heard. That word he heard means he answered me. The Lord answers you from where? From his presence. The Lord answered me now. He knew how to worship David. He knew what it was like to commune with God because he spent time praying. You see, you will never know how to worship if you don't know how to pray. <laughs> because prayer now is the beginning of our worship now. And as he was cast off the throne, he knew that Jehovah was still on the throne. And what David is doing here is he's crying out to God in prayer. Our prayer life is so important. There's a guy that called me today on my way to church. And he said, I want you to pray for me because I feel like I, I lack now this, this drive. And I was like, you know what's the problem is that you're looking for motivation instead of inspiration. <laughs> and there are a lot of times that we look for motivation in the world instead of inspiration from the Word of God. And that's exactly where passion comes from from the inspiration of the Word of God. Notice David knew that. In fact, he says, as I feel the pressure in verse 5, look what he says here, I lay down and slept. <laughs> How many of you guys have felt like, man, I feel, I feel so anxious that I can't sleep? David went to God. He now took it to God and left it to God, and he went to bed. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He spent time with the Lord, and he says, in Jesus' name, amen, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> How many times have we, have we not done that? Oh, Lord, I'm going to pray. And after you pray, you toss and you turn. You try to figure it out still. No, you already prayed about it. Go to sleep now. In fact, he's saying the Lord has given me rest in the midst of stress. <laughs> and a lot of times, that's what we need, rest in the midst of stress. In fact, he said, I lay down. Why did he lay down and sleep? Because he was in the presence of God. I lay down and slept and I awoke. <laughs> Both of those, the sleeping and the waking up, came from the presence of God. I, will, I slept and I woke now, and he was safe in the presence of God. He was sustained in the presence of God. Why? Because he sustained me. You know what sustained means? It means that he carried me, and he was watching over me. Isn't that amazing? It's almost like a parent that is carrying now their, their child. I'm sustaining him. I'm, I'm carrying him, but I'm also watching over him. And he was resting in the presence of God. Are you resting in the presence of God? There are times where you are so tired, and the reason why you are restless is because you haven't surrendered in the presence of God. Are you resting in the presence of God here? He's saying, I'm still able to rest because God's sustaining power is over me. He's watching over me. And he goes on and he tells us, I will not be afraid of 10,000 of people who set themselves against me all around. I'm not going to be afraid. Circle the word, I'm going to go to sleep and I'm not going to be afraid. <laughs> 
There are times we look at the world around us and we see the evil, the wickedness. And he saw the evil, he felt the wickedness. But in verse 6 it says, I will not be afraid. That is something that we all need to hear today. I will not be afraid of what? Of even 10,000 people. There are times we're afraid of one person. <laughs> I will not be afraid of 10,000 people who surround me as enemies on every side because God is, on my God is my protector. I have nothing to fear. God is working on my behalf. Notice this. Not only is God working on my behalf, God is working on my behalf even while I'm sleeping. <laughs> That's why I'm able to wake up this way. God is working on my behalf while I'm sleeping. I am confident and I do not doubt God. The, the, the reason sometimes that our hearts are filled with fear and not rest is because we're battling with doubt. And doubt is the enemy of peace. It really is. That's what he's saying. I can rest and I will not be afraid. Verse 7, look what it talks about. It talks about a deliverance. Arise, O Lord, save me. This was his expectation now. The word save me, write this in your Bible, speaks about almost as it's in its classical now Hebrew now text, speaks about give me room to breathe. <laughs> How many of us feel like that sometimes? Lord, I just need a room, some room to breathe. Oh Lord, arise, save me. He's trusting God to save him now. He says, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have now defended me. Not only does he say save me now, he says, you have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Do you notice that? David doesn't look only to the Lord for protection, but he also looks to the Lord for victory. In prayer, the Lord not only wants to provide to you protection, but in prayer, the Lord also wants to provide to you victory. And David is refusing to take the credit because it was the Lord's. Notice that in verse 8, he says, Salvation belongs to who? To who? The Lord. You have struck. You have done this. You have defended me. You see, David knew that what God wanted from him was his love and his obedience. And all he needed to do was to trust him. In fact, David at this moment, he didn't even have the possession of the ark of God. He didn't have the ark of God, but he had the God of the ark. <laughs> Notice that. He had the God of the ark. And we see that his trust and his reliance on God is so visible to us. Now notice what, as he's praying for this protection and his victory, we go now to Psalms chapter 4, because now he speaks about here the safety and the faithfulness of God and his complaint now against the wicked. David was a man that understood wickedness. He knew what it was like to live in a certain sinful time. He knew what it's like for those people that were closest to him to betray him and, and to speak about him and to turn their back on him. And, and he experienced all of that. But notice that in Psalms 4, he speaks about the safety of now the faithful. And it says this, Hear me when I call, O God. Notice that this is a prayer now. A prayer to God. And then he speaks to men. He's going to say here a few things as he opens up. He says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Why, O oh God, of my righteousness? O oh God, the only one that can declare me innocent. 
In this psalm, Psalm chapter 4, we see a prayer with a lot of passion. When was the last time you prayed with a lot of passion? This is a prayer with passion. Oh God, the only one that can make me innocent. And he's crying out to God now, the one that declares me innocent. He says this, you have relieved me. I love this. In my distress, relieved. Taking the burden. You, were, you needed that relief. You, you have given me freedom from my trouble. You have mercy. Now it says, have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Because of the compassion and the loving kindness of God, He can hear the prayer now of His people. Notice this. I, I mean, I, I hope that throughout this series that we're going through Psalms, that you bring your pens and your highlighters, man, because this is such an amazing time to be in God's Word and become a student, and your prayer life increases more and more. He's crying out to God. He says, have mercy on me and hear what? My prayer. How long? Verse 2, oh, you sons of men. Now he's speaking to the, about his accusers and about the wicked men that are against him. How long will you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness? How long are you going to keep speaking about me? How long are you going to talk about me behind my back? How long are you going to try to ruin now my reputation and bring my glory to shame and now speak lies about me? How long are you going to do that? Notice that he's becoming impatient. How long is he going to be? And speak falsehood. Lies. You know, lies travel so fast. You've noticed that deception is so thick and is so heavy in our culture today. Deception, not truth, deception. Deception. A lot of people say, you know what, well, we ought to give love. We ought to give love in a time of deception. Somebody asked me, what is love this week? First thing that came to my mind, and I don't think I've ever answered it this way, but they said, what is love, Art? I said, love is truth. Because truth is Jesus. And you can't have Jesus without truth, and you can't have love without it either. Love is truth now. And what he needed in his life was truth. Because of all the deception that was taking place in his life, it's been said before that, that lies can travel halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to put its boots on. <laughs> you see how fast the lies travel, but the truth not so much? In fact, it says here now, but it says, How long will you speak falsehood? But no. This is his confidence now. But no, now he's telling these men, but know that the Lord has set apart or has now preserved for himself, him who is godly, and the Lord will hear when I call to him. He's speaking to them, don't you understand, don't you know that God is going to now preserve the godly? He set apart the godly. And he is now bold because he's first blameless. This is, a, this is such, a, such an amazing psalm because we see here that he's set apart. What is he set apart for? He's set apart for purity. He's set apart for service. He's set apart for fellowship. For purity, for service, and for fellowship now. And he is confident of who he is before the Lord. He is confident of who he is not before his enemies now. And he's letting God defend him. I want to encourage you to let God defend you. That is too in true integrity. Well, you don't have to defend yourself all the time. You don't have to explain yourself all the time. You let God defend you. And he calms himself now. Verse 4 he calms himself now because he's angry. He's passionate. He's zealous now. He's angry. like, you better know, he's saying, that God has preserved me. He's going to hear me when I call to him. But verse 4, he says, you know what? I'm not going to get emotional. I'm going to calm down. <laughs> How many times have you have to told yourself, calm down? 
Now he says here in verse 4, be angry. This is something you circle and underline. Be angry and do not sin. <laughs> the problem is that we're angry and we let our anger lead us to sin. Yes, be angry. Have a righteous anger for injustice. Have a righteous anger for injustice, but don't let it cause you to sin. But don't, it doesn't give you an excuse to sin and injustice. Be angry. Yes, you can be angry about this, but don't be overcome by your emotions now. Don't sin by letting anger control you or dominate you, protect your heart. In fact, what he says, uh, this David, it must have been a guy. I love David. He was in the his shepherd's field. You know, he had a lot of time to think and to take naps. Because look what it says. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Just go to bed. <laughs> Just go back to sleep. <laughs> You're angry. Just take a nap. In fact, sleep on it. <laughs> You're angry. Don't do anything. Sleep on it. Lay down. Rest. Meditate. Look what he says. Protect your heart overnight. The word meditate means to wait now on the Lord. And look what it tells us here. And be still. Remain silent when you're angry. A lot of people ask me, I'm just so angry. I don't know what to do. Don't do nothing. <laughs> what should I do? I'm angry. Don't do nothing. That's what you should do. In fact, you should pray and wait. And let the Lord minister to you. Let the Lord minister to you. Wait and let the Lord minister to you. That's what he's saying. Let the Lord minister to you. Verse 5. Offer sacrifices of righteousness. Why is it important that we do not let righteous anger cause us to sin? Because they will not offer the true sacrifices. We will offer sacrifices that are not acceptable to God. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit. That's what he's saying. Offer sacrifices of righteousness. Do not offer something to God with an angry heart. Do not offer something to the Lord with an angry heart. Verse 5, it says, And put your trust in the Lord. Well, I'm angry. But I'm going to wait. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to sleep on it. I'm going to be still. I'm not going to offer God something in anger. And I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. This is a picture of rest, guys. This is a picture of what it means to let go and let God. Now, we ought to trust what it says, trust in the Lord. This is true leadership here. Because he knew, and we should know, to trust in the Lord before we trust in any other leadership. Trust in the Lord before you trust in any other leadership. Verse 6, it says, It says, There are many who say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. He's saying here, There are some that are going to say, Where's any good can it come from them? So he's crying out to the Lord and saying, Oh Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. The light of your countenance upon us. Lord, let your, the smile, your smile shine upon our faces. Lord, let your countenance, let your face shine upon us in a way that it's favorable. Put gladness now in our hearts. He says this now, you have put gladness in my heart. Now, notice this. Maybe there's, you're struggling with anger. Say to the Lord, Lord, I want you to put gladness in my heart. For David, he knew that there was gladness in his heart. 
but he also know who put it there. <laughs> Isn't this amazing that God grabbed gladness in fellowship and he says, David, I'm going to bless you right now. I'm going to put gladness in your heart. I'm, gonna, I'm the one that put it there. I'm going to put joy in your heart now. I'm going to give you greater joy. And look what a gladness it's going to be. It's going to be more than the season that, that their grain and their wine increase. More than anything that you can compare to the possessions that the wicked and the evil have. The gladness that God gives you is abundantly more. And it's more of a real blessing than any possession can offer you. More than the grain and more than the wine. The gladness that God puts in your heart is worth more, is more meaningful. It's a more value now of anything in any season of prosperity. The value now here of the gladness that He puts in you. In fact, it says nothing can take away that gladness away because He put it there. And He says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. Now what is up with David and sleep? I will both. He's like saying, you know what, guys? I'm going to wrap this up now because it's time for me to rest in the Lord. <laughs> and he says here now, I will both lie down in peace. Circle in peace. I'm going to sleep. I am going to rest now. They're chasing me down. Absalom is coming after me. My traitors are coming after me. But look what he's saying as he's continued to hear in Psalm chapter 4. I will both lie down. Not only lie down but in peace and sleep for you, circle the word, alone. You alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety. You alone keep me safe. He knew that it was only in the Lord that he can find safety. You alone give me safety. Not anything else, not anyone else. He is secure. He is safe in the presence of God. He is not secure and safe in his circumstances. He is not secure and safe in his feelings. But he's saying, I can have, I'm not going to be all panicking. There's so many Christians on panic mode. Just stop. Stop being on panic. Do you see that he is now the one that's actually running away from enemies and he's not panicking? He's not panicking because he's fellowshipping with God. He might be in trouble, but he's not panicking. He might be in trouble, but he is not panicking. Why? Because he is still worshiping. You cannot worship and panic at the same time. <laughs> Have you ever tried that? He is worshiping. He is not panicking. Now, let's here look at chapter 5 here quickly as we go to it. Because chapter 5 is such a good chapter. And it talks about here the guidance. Now, it's a prayer of guidance. This is a song. If, if you were, I was, I was studying Psalms chapter 5 this week. And it reminded me of this old Maranatha song that we sing in Calvary Chapel, right? Growing up. And it, it, I mean, if you want to look up this song later today, I, I recommend it. It's so classic and vintage. But it, they, they've literally turned this entire psalm into a song. And it's a prayer for guidance. Look at the, the guidance now. This is, this is now David as he's grinding in discouragement. He might not be panicking, but he did have moments of discouragement. And look what he says. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Give ear. Number one, give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. Isn't this amazing here? Give ear. Then he says, hear, again, to give heed, hear, and consider. Give ear, 
hear and consider. That is his cry. Oh Lord, give ear. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, consider. Pay attention to my meditation. Look at how I'm groaning. Listen, listen to my cry now. My King and my God, I'm praying to no one but you. For to you I will pray, or only to you I'm praying. Only to you I'm turning. My voice you shall hear in the what? In the morning. <laughs> my voice you shall hear in the morning. I'm only going to pray to you, and my voice you shall hear in the morning. You see, he went to the Lord in the morning to receive strength and to receive joy so that he can make it through the day. <laughs> so that he can make it through his adversities. This man, David, was a man of intimate fellowship and devotion with God. The morning, in fact, was the most important part of his day. The morning. The morning is the most important part and should be the most important part of your day. Because it's a time where you separate yourself to worship to pray, to have a devotional time. And I want you to know this, that devotional time is not only reading and praying, in your devotional time should also be included worship. And maybe you say, well, my devotional time right now is a little try. Is there any worship there? Are you worshiping in your devotional time? Are you worshiping in your devotional time? Because it doesn't become real devotion until it's, there's worship involved. Now notice what he says here, in the morning, O Lord, in the morning, I will direct it to who? I will direct it to you. I won't direct it to the media. I won't direct it to the news. I won't direct it to my spouse. I won't direct it to my panic. I will direct it to you now, and I will look up. Hey, stop. Pray, worship, look up. Don't look out, look up. There's a lot of times that we're looking out instead of looking up, or we're looking in instead of looking up. He's saying, you know, I want you to pray. He's going to direct it to you in the morning. A prayer with focus on the Lord. I will pray and wait with expectancy. I'm looking, I'm praying and then I'm waiting now in the Lord. I'm waiting with expectancy. Notice that. Each morning I will pray and I will put myself in the hands of God and wait with expectancy now. Why is this? This is incredible now because his prayer is focused on the Lord and that's so essential now as he dedicates himself completely to the Lord for the entire day now and he's meeting with God. A lot of people say, well, I don't have time. I have so many meetings. The most important meeting of your day is when you meet with God. That is a meeting that you should have every single day. He has to go to receive his commands. He has to go to be a great leader because he definitely here as, as, as David is a leader now, he, he has to know that to exercise leadership, he must be under authority himself. If you want to exercise leadership, you must be under authority. The worst leaders don't know what it's like to be under authority. He knew what it was like to be in authority. In fact, he says verse 4 through 8, he reminds himself of the attributes of God to give himself peace. You're panicking, remind yourself quickly, what are the attributes of God? He's loving, He's faithful, He's full of grace, He's never failed me, instead of panicking. Notice how He reminds us of the attributes of God now, to dispel discouragement. You want to get rid of discouragement? Remind yourself of the attributes of God. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. Verse 4, nor shall the evil dwell with you. You're a just God. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors or hates bloodthirsty and deceitful man. You are a God that is a God of justice now. Notice here. You are a God that knows the contrast and keeps the contrast between the wicked now and the blameless 
and the wicked and the godly now. You take no pleasure. You don't tolerate sin. You don't tolerate pride. Pride will not stand in your presence, Lord. You hate those who do evil and the workers of iniquity and those that murder. You hate that. Our actions matter before God. Here David is saying this. But as for me, this is something that we all have to circle. That's them, but as for me. If you were here on Sunday, you remember that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, lead a quiet life, labor with your own hands, and what else? Mind your own business. <laughs> Mind your own business. But as for me, that's them. God will take care of them. But as for me, remind yourself this. God's going to take care of them. But as for me. You see how he's so confident now? That he is so centered? This is a leader that is centered now. That's stability now. Notice here. As for me, I will come into, I will step into your house in the multitude of your mercy. I'll be able to step in because of your mercy, not because of my righteousness. I will step into your house because of your mercy or because of your unfailing love. In the fear of you, I will worship. Worship comes from a fear of God. In reverence and in awe. That word fear, that means awe. In awe, I will worship you in your holy temple, towards your holy temple. Notice, this is exactly why we come to worship at the temple. Because we want to gather and commune with the Lord in His holy place, in a place that He has reserved for worship as well. It doesn't mean that you can't worship wherever you are. He's saying, I'm going to worship toward the temple now. Here he's saying, I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to be in awe now. As for me, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rely on God. As for me, what are you doing today? What are we doing today? Because he was either going to be worshiping the Lord or he's going to be conquered by his enemies. Or he was going to be conquered by his enemies. Notice here he says, Lead me, O Lord. I need direction. We all need leadership. In your righteousness, because of my enemies, make your straight before me. O Lord, lead me because of my enemies. He didn't say, I want to lead myself even though I have enemies. He said, make your way straight or plain. Make your way obvious before me so I can walk right through that path. Make your way obvious. How, do you make his, how does God make His way obvious before you? A lot of times we say, we don't know what to do. His way is so obvious in His Word. When you open up the Bible in your devotional time, maybe tonight, open up the Word of God and say, Lord, just make it obvious to me. <laughs> what should I do? Lord, just make it obvious. Just make it obvious as they read the Word. Notice in verse 9. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. In their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They now flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of your transgressions. For they have rebelled against you. O Lord, you handle them. O God, I know that you are the one that can now come against and pronounce, declare them guilty. Let them be caught up in their rebelling and their sin. Give them what they deserve, Lord. Verse 11, But let all those who rejoice in you put their trust in you. Joy comes from where? When you put your trust in Him. He prayed for blessing now. Let them ever shout for joy. God gives us a permission to shout for joy in His presence. Because you defend them. Look at you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. We can be joyful in the Lord. Those who put our trust in Him, those that are now defended because of Him. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround him with a shield. 
favor, with loving kindness, God is going to surround you. He's going to, that word favor means he's going to spread now his arms around you. Favor means I'm going to spread my loving kindness around you and I'm going to protect you with them. Today, can we pray as we end right now? Can we pray for favor? Can we pray for favor? That is one thing that the Lord wants to give us, favor. His word says it. He can make it plain for us with favor. Let's go ahead and pray right now that the Lord would give us favor as he protects us now in any situation and wherever we find ourselves, that we would say, Lord, in the morning, I cry out to you in the morning. And I'm going to look up. And I'm going to be still. And I'm going to wait expectantly for your favor. Can we pray? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. We thank you because you're again letting us open up your word in the book of Psalms. Lord, let it be plain to us. Make your way straight before us because of our enemies. We pray, Lord, for our nation right now, that it would be a nation under God. And that as we are so maybe confused with the things of this world, Lord, that you would make it plain before us, Lord, the truth. That we would not be led astray or deceived or turned from one side to the other, but make it plain before us. We pray this all in Jesus' name, and together we said, Amen.